0: Mark 1, verse 16, Uh, I'm going to read, I'm going to start in verse 14 to try to gather a little bit of context before we get into uh, verse 16. We talked about verses 14 and 15 last week, so we'll be uh, 14, or 16 through 20 this week. But I want to, uh, to gather a little bit of context. So turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 14, we'll start there, we'll read, and then we'll pray. Verse 14, now after John was arrested... Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in in their boat mending the nets. And immediately Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we pray this morning that our hearts would be open to uh, the word of God, the spirit of God this morning. I pray Very simply, that your powerful and your loving voice would call people to follow you today in this city for the sake of the gospel. I pray for those who once followed you but are walking at a distance because of maybe some hurt or something done to them by the church or even by this world. I pray that you would speak to them and they would hear your voice once again. That you would heal what is broken, God. And that you would mend what is torn this morning. For those who are jaded by this city or by American consumerist Christianity, would you open our eyes to see Jesus today? This city needs sincere followers of the real Jesus. Show us what that looks like today. And may we respond in humble repentance. Not turning to a man or to an institution, but to the living God And would you use me today to speak your words, Holy Spirit, speak today, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now we've said that the plot of the book of Mark, the plot of his book is to show us who the real Jesus is, who he really is and what he really came to do. And Mark does this with remarkable brevity. It's a very, very short book, it's very fast paced. It's short and it's intense and it's to the point. Now, the plot and the main goal of Mark's book is the real Jesus, to show us who Jesus really is. The context, the plot is Jesus. The context is unawareness. People follow Jesus but are really unaware who he really is. They follow him, and what we're going to see today is that these disciples follow him without any idea of the atonement, any idea that he would die on a cross, none of this, that he would die for their sins. They didn't know any of this, but they started to follow him. They were unaware of what it looked like, for the kingdom of God to come on earth, but they followed him anyway. And people follow that follow Jesus, and they're uh, unaware of who he really is. And, and Mark uses this context of unawareness to show the subversiveness of the kingdom of God. So we have the plot. The plot is this: the real Jesus, who Jesus really was, not one that we make up, not a Jesus that we make up, that we one that we want to believe in. That kind of already fits into what we already believe and what we already do. That kind of Jesus like, well, I believe this and I want a Jesus that, to believe in that comes alongside of what I believe and, and, and that comes alongside of what I already do and I want a Jesus like that. That's not the Jesus that we get from Mark. Actually, during the time of Mark's writing, there were people retelling the story of Jesus. So Mark was the first one to write a book. He actually started a genre of, of writing called the Gospels. He started with this book to show us who the real Jesus was. The context was unawareness. From the opening line in Mark, he lets us, the readers, know who Jesus is, but nobody else really knows who he is. No one else completely knows, but we know. The demons seem to know, but nobody else. So the suspense arises in this book, the tension arises from the reader's knowledge, you and I, we understand, but the the ignorance of the actors, they don't know. And we said that since the context is unawareness of the book of Mark, and, and there's a certain level of unbelief in the book of Mark, the book of Mark can handle your doubts. If you came in this morning, and you might have grown up in church, or you might not ever really follow Jesus or, or came to church, and you're just coming here, and you come with just a whole bunch of doubts about who Jesus is, about what the Bible says, the book of Mark can handle your doubts. It's actually the context of the book. You come to this book with doubt, it's okay because that's how the the book is written with that context in mind. But let me give you a little secret into the life of the disciples. They kept following Jesus. They kept following Jesus, even though they were unaware, even though they had doubts and they had fears, they kept following Jesus. And that is the subplot of the book. The subplot is what it means to actually follow Jesus. What does it look like to actually follow Jesus? So the story is about Jesus, but not Jesus alone. It's Jesus and his followers. From verse 16, we're going to see right now, for the rest of the book, the disciples hardly ever leave Jesus. They're always in the picture. And one aim of Mark, was when he wrote this, was to show us the real nature of Jesus. Another, almost equally prominent aim, was to instruct his reader, you and me, in what following Jesus really involved. What does it really involve? What 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 does it really take to follow Jesus? And some people think, well, it takes. Well, I'm am a follower of Jesus, therefore I do these things. And some of you go, well, I, I follow Jesus, therefore I I I go to church. And there's like a sliding scale there. I go to church sometimes, or I'm really committed to going to church. Or I believe, and there's a sliding scale of belief. Well, I believe in Jesus literally, and I believe his word literally, and I read it all the time. Or I kind of believe. Or you're like, oh, I follow Jesus, therefore I hold to the Ten Commandments. And you hold to him religiously. But others like, well, it just depends on the weekend. Like five or six I might have down, depending on the weekend. And there's a sliding scale of belief. And what we do when we get to Mark, we learn what does it really look like to follow Jesus? So this is the real Jesus, and what does it look like to follow Jesus? And it started with a call, and that's what we'll see today. And this is how we'll look at this section of Scripture. The character of the call, the community of the call, and the cost of the call. When Jesus called these disciples to follow him, we'll look at the character of the call. What was the nature of this call? What was Jesus calling them into? The community of the call, how they were brought in, and the cost of the call, what did it take to follow Jesus? So the first one, character of the call. What was the nature and the character of this call that Jesus had on on the disciples? Notice first how subversive this call was. After Jesus emerges from the wilderness in verse 15, having broke the stronghold of Satan upon humanity, he announces the kingdom of God like this. We just read this. So Jesus breaks on the scene, the inbreaking of God, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is an epic announcement. He breaks in announcing this. This is the promised, present, Apocalyptic announcement of the inbreaking of God into human affairs to set everything right and to make all things new. Jesus breaks in saying this. This was a moment in Jewish that the Jewish people had been waiting upon for generations. Now, after this ringing announcement, after Jesus comes in announcing the kingdom of God, we're prepared for something big, something stirring of national, if not cosmic importance. Jesus comes on the scene saying, hey, the kingdom of God is breaking into humanity. And you and I, our eyes should be looking like, what does this look like? What does this entail? What happens next? What happens next is Jesus took a walk by the ocean or took a walk by the sea. Like you and I are waiting for this epic announcement. And then Jesus just takes a stroll by the Sea of Galilee. And then he calls some common laborers to accompany him on a mission. It's like we're being trained as readers to look for the subversive nature of the kingdom of God. You and I think that the kingdom of God should come in a certain way, and Mark trains us to to see the subversive nature of the kingdom. We're being taught, like the first disciples would be taught, what the kingdom of God really looks like. The kingdom of God comes not with fanfare, but through the gradual gathering of a group of socially insignificant people in an unowned corner of Provincial Galilee. Just as Jesus announces the kingdom of God, and he takes a stroll by the sea. And he sees a couple fishermen, and he says, hey, you, follow me. It's It's so grassroots and underground. It's just insane. And you would think it's big and epic. He's not even in Jerusalem. He's in Galilee, calling people to follow him. And what the kingdom of God looks like is a casual gathering of nobodies. Jesus wasn't even in Jerusalem. He wasn't even in the the religious center where all the religious activity of the life of Israel was. He was on the outskirts. And we see here the subversive character of his call, but it was also a revolutionary call because Jesus did something pretty radical. Rabbis didn't do this in Jesus' day. He said, follow me. He walked up to these disciples, these, these fishermen fishing. These guys work with their hands. They were strong, strong men, okay? And they worked with their hands, and they were manly men. And he walked up to these men, and he said, follow me. If you walked to a construction site and started to say that, I don't know what would happen. You have a whole bunch of men working with their hands, just burly men, like, hey, follow me. I don't, I wouldn't get a good response. They'd be like, to the taco truck, you're gonna buy me taco? That's cool, but I'm not gonna follow you anywhere else. This He's calling men to follow him. And he walks up and he says, follow me. Now, rabbis never did this. Scribes never did this. Religious leaders of Jesus' day never did this. In rabbinical school, it was a student who sought out the rabbi. When you were a student in rabbinical school, you went and found your favorite rabbi and you went and followed that rabbi. You learned Torah from him. You learned his teachings. You did all of these things. You followed him. Students would seek out the rabbi that they wanted to learn from. Why? Why didn't rabbis call disciples into rabbinical school? And why didn't rabbis say, Follow me? Because the chief allegiance of rabbinic students was not to the rabbi, but to the Torah. So a student started to follow a rabbi because of the Bible, because of the scriptures, not because of the rabbi. It wasn't about the rabbi, it was about the scriptures. Actually, the idea of following God in the Old Testament is kind of absent. This idea of following God, people were called to walk in God's ways and according to God's statutes, but Jesus, what Jesus was doing here was something entirely different. He was calling people to follow himself. And here's what this means. What the disciples needed to learn and to do could only be learned as they followed Jesus. What they needed to learn and what they needed to do could only happen as they followed Jesus. Everything you needed to learn, you learn following Jesus. It happened in the process. It happened along the road following Jesus. They were, they were actually very, very unaware and ignorant when they first started following Jesus. They, they had expectations that Jesus had to rewire. That's the process of discipleship that they go on. I don't know if you ha- are, are, are walking with, I assume that probably several, several of you guys are walking with Jesus. And the process of you walking with Christ, with walking, walking with Jesus, what you learn along the road, that is what's going on here. He's like, follow me. Everything you need to do, you do while you follow me. In Mark's narrative, only as Jesus is followed can Jesus be known. You only know him as you follow him. I've met a lot of people who know a lot about Jesus. They read, their, they read a Bible, or they read a lot of books, or they sat in church for years, but they don't know Jesus. With Jesus, you don't really know him until you follow him. I want you to, I want, I want you to really understand that. If you're, if, you're, if you're just coming here and you're like, I, I want to know what this Jesus person, God, is all about, you don't really know him until you follow him. Until you take that step of faith and obey his words and take seriously his deeds. When you hang in tension, as we talked about last week, his words and his deeds together. You learn from his words and you emulate, you start walking in his deeds. When you do that, then you get to know who the real Jesus is. And it's Jesus here who's like the great initiator. These four men didn't go looking for Jesus. Jesus came looking for them. And discipleship begins in their world. It's God who always initi- initiates. The Bible says in Romans 5 8, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is defined by his initiation to die for our sins that we committed against him because God is always the most offended party when anyone sins. And he did this while we were rejecting him. He is the great initiator. God is initiating our salvation. The reason why this is so important to underscore here is that this takes place in Galilee. When Jesus initiates fellowship with these men, the encounter doesn't take place on holy ground, not in Jerusalem, doesn't take place in the temple, but on their ground. In their busy, bustling world of fish and commerce, trade and life, Jesus goes to them. And what this shows us is that Jesus is calling them into an entirely different and new kind of kingdom. Instead of guarding boundaries, God now crosses boundaries. Instead of remaining in the temple, God breaks out to become available everywhere. Instead of drawing withdrawing from defilement God spreads holiness instead of working from the center God is now working from the margins and this is what Jesus does when he breaks in the kingdom of God this this is what links the kingdom of God last week to these calling of these disciples this week God is literally breaking into these fishermen's lives and calling them to be a part of redemptive history and that's what he's doing. As he's calling them to follow him, he's like, come be a part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom belongs to God. It is God who initiates man redemption. And he's calling these men into that process. So that was the nature of it. Now the community. Now this is really important that we understand this. There is a community in this call. Jesus is calling a community. When John the Baptist went to prison, Jesus could have chosen to now go On his mission, absolutely alone, he would he could have said, "Okay, now I'm going this alone." John the Baptist, him and I, we're kind of doing a thing, and now he's gone; he's in prison. I'll just go at this alone. To make, I'll make a personal journey to the cross. He already knew that he was going to die alone on the cross, so why not just remain alone? Why risk being hurt by people you love? Why risk being abandoned? Why risk being betrayed? We have to back up a bit. God is a community. God is a community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The mysterious three yet one, the triune God, God exists in relationship. The nature of God is one God eternally existing in three persons. God is a community. God is love. And out of his nature, he created us. We are created in the image of God. Therefore, we are created. You and I are created for relationship. We are built for community. That's why we crave community. That's why coffee houses are are so full in this city, yet nobody talks. They just want to be around people. That's why there's some coffee houses that say, no more laptops, just get to know humans. Talk to real humans. People understand this. This is why, even in our prison system, the worst thing that can happen to you outside of of being um, um, executed is solitary confinement. We understand we were built for relationship. We were built for community. So it would only make sense that when Jesus started his public ministry, as subversive as it was, he would call a community to follow him. He would not make the journey alone, but he would make it in community. That was his nature. And when he called them to himself, he called them in community. Notice, there were two people, two different sets of people. He called eventually 12 and then hundreds to follow him. He called them in community. And when he sent them out, he always sent them out in community. Always. This is because this is the nature of God. This is who God is in his, at his, in his nature. The nature of God is a community. And because this is our nature, because we are image bearers of God, this is how God created us. We are created in the image of God. And the purpose of an image is always to represent something. The reason that there is an image is to re- reflect something, to so it, push, it, it it reflects back to something. We are created to represent God on this earth. That's why we are here. To be in loving relationship and community with God and to be in unbroken fellowship and relationship and community with each other, that's why you and I were created. However, I don't know how long you've lived in this city or where you're from necessarily, but I bet there's a lot of us who have left behind a bloodbath of broken relationships. That if we look in our past, there's just like this bloodbath of broken relationships, a broken relationships with family, broken relationships with friends, people we loved, people we barely knew, people, those, those people in the church, outside the church, people that love God, who didn't love God, we're all touched by broken relationship. And more than that, humanity has grasped For autonomy from god we want to be left alone and live in broken relationship with our creator we are image bearers who have fallen short so what okay back to mark so what is jesus doing here if that is the grand story god is a community we are created for community though we've messed things horribly up what is jesus doing here on the banks of the Galilee, when he's calling people to follow him, what is Jesus doing here? Jesus is creating a new community. He's creating a new humanity. Jesus is calling people into a new community, a community who would model what it means to live under God's rule, to live under the kingdom of God. This is why the calling of the disciples quickly follows the announcement of the inbreaking kingdom of God. He announces the kingdom of God and it breaks in, and this new community that would reflect what it really means to be human, to live in community and unbroken fellowship with God and with each other. That is why Jesus said, Follow me. I'm calling you to myself into the life of the triune God. Later, at the end of the, of the Gospel of John, when Jesus would pray for his disciples, he would pray this as you, father, are in me and i am in you, may they also be in us. What Jesus is doing on the banks of the Galilee is, is he's inviting people into the life of God, into the community of God. He is saying and when Jesus is, Jesus calls us, he calls us in community. On the banks of the Galilee, the very beginning, he's calling a community to follow him. Now what does this mean? This flies in the face of our Western, individualistic, consumerist culture. A lot of us have probably heard this, that we, um, that we accept Jesus as a personal Savior. He is my personal Savior. He's my buddy, Jesus. Me and Jesus rolling out together. I don't need the church. I don't need cheesy Christian community. Just me, Jesus, maybe some meditation in there somewhere, and that's all I need. I don't need anything else. This is where Jesus becomes nothing more like your therapist or a guru that you follow. This is not biblical Christianity. What we learn from the story of Jesus, from the Gospels, is that it's only within community that the call of Jesus is heard and obeyed. Jesus calls us to follow him as a body, as a community. This is the context of following Jesus. If you think that all you need is your Bible and your Jesus and that's it as a follower, you have removed yourself from historic the historic Jesus and the context of the call to follow him. Because we are a community, following Jesus should reveal the nature of the inbreaking rule of God together. This is so huge. What we are doing in the Bay Area as a church as a people who follow Jesus, we need to be showing this city, this the Bay Area, what it looks like for a a community to follow Jesus together. You're saying, but we suck. I know. We do. We're really, really bad at relationships, but God is so good and so awesome. As we follow Jesus, we learn to live lives centered on the gospel, lives of wholeness, forgiveness, love. We need to show this. We need to be forgiving and loving, and we need to really invite people into our communities. If you have a really, really good, solid community, don't be the person that goes, okay, let's not screw this community up. Let's all be friends and not let anyone else into our little thing, okay? Promise? Make a pact. Everyone make a pact. Don't do that. Invite people in, even people that don't walk with God. Even people are your neighbors. Invite them into that community. That is what God did with you. You weren't a part of the community of God at all, but he invited you in. We are to reflect that in the city for the glory of God. We are to live lives of love and lives of forgiveness and lives of truth and lives of wholeness. Actually, Jesus gave our community a new new command to love one another. In John 13, it says this. A new commandment I give to you That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. This is a new command. This should govern our community. D.A. Carson, in commenting on this verse, says this. The new command is not only the obligation of a new community to respond to the God who has loved them and set them free by offering his son. Neither is it merely their response to his gracious choice of them as his people. It is a privilege which when rightly lived out proclaims the true God before a watching world. That is why Jesus ends this injunction with the words, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our love should be the the interpretive lens of the church. Our love should, should define what this church is. Our love as a community following and loving and walking with Jesus in this city. The church... The community following Jesus continues as the incarnate expression of the life of God. And so, yes, we are a very, very, very young church. Today is our one month anniversary. <laughs> yeah. That's what my wife and I used to say when we dated in high school. It was our month anniversary. So this is our, like, month anniversary or whatever. One month. We are, a, we are a very, very, very young community. And it's very important that we lay out at the very beginning of this very young community what we'll be about. And if you've seen it on our bulletin or if you've seen it on our website, it says this little phrase, a community following Jesus. What does that mean? It, it might sound cool or not. I don't know. But that's what it is. What does that mean? That means that we are to embody the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Bay Area that we are to love one another and we are to get together with one another invite people into that community. And, that, and I know this only happens for like an hour and a half, two hours on a Sunday morning, but this should, this should not define the church. This is the church gathered, but you embody the church as you leave this building. And that's what this means. We are to embody this. Living in this kind of community is glorious when it's done right, but it, does, it doesn't come without a high cost. So, let's look at our last thing, the cost of the call. What did this cost? Look at verse 17. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. They, le- they just left their nets, and they followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them and said, Called them and they left their dad. Can you imagine? Like, peace out, dad. I'm out. And the boat, and they had enough, they had like a they had a business here because they had boats and, and 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 hired servants, and they followed him. There is a considerable cost to following Jesus. It costs something. It's illustrated in this pericope by the fact that these four men left their jobs. They left their family. They left their income to follow Jesus. Now, in our individualist uh, culture, saying bye to family, that's like no big deal. When I left my hometown and I told my dad, I'm leaving, I'm moving, I'm, I'm, I'm going to begin this process of starting a, uh, starting a church, he was like, Dave, you have to go. You, you have to be a man and make it on your own. I mean, that's kind of like, we get that, okay? Like, I'm leaving the family. It wasn't like, no, you can't leave the family. You never leave the family. Here in America, like, you always leave the family almost. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to go and blaze your own trail, and so, they, we get that, but to sacrifice your career, or your walk, or to walk away from a personal pursuit or romantic relationship for Jesus, that's pretty, that's pretty radical. The call and the instant response of these fishermen to reveal something, of, is reveal something of what following Jesus entails, what it means, and it should shatter our comfortable world of middle-class discipleship. When these disciples dropped their net, when these followers of Jesus dropped their nets to follow him, they left it all to follow Christ. Followers of Jesus are not those who fill pews during worship or attend the occasional Bible study and to offer to help out here and there. They're not eavesdroppers or onlookers. When you're called by Jesus, your whole life and purpose in life are completely transformed so compelling is the claim of Jesus on these men that these fishermen that all prior claims on their life lose their validity everything else that claimed their life loses its validity all other pursuits all other aims all other goals get absorbed in the grand call to follow Jesus and not just absorbed but it gets used god calls them as fishermen and then this word play happens and he calls them to be fishers of men okay you are fishermen, but I'm going to call you to be fishers of men. We can't pass over the way Mark tells this part of the story. He mentions quite purposefully that these were fishermen and that Jesus called them to be fishers of men. Now, a fisher of men had a biblical background. Okay? I know we don't really understand that today. We think of fishing with a, a pole and leisure and you know like whatever. That's not kind of, that wasn't fishing then. It had a background. Though no one agrees exactly on what this means, we know this. They were fishermen, period. And they caught fish for a living. We know that. And they left it. They left their nets to become fishers of men. Literally, Jesus' words were this: "Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men." Now there's various meanings here. In the Old Testament language, God was the fisherman, and it had this ominous ring to it. It meant judgment. So in the Old Testament, when you look up this word fish for a minute, it it sometimes had this ominous tone to it, like God is going to fish out people for judgment. But it also had to do with this eschatological regathering of Israel for a second exodus, calling out, fishing out people from bondage. But in this context, it can also easily be connected for fishing for people. Like you're fishers of men, you're going to go fish for people. What's the point? Here's the point. Jesus was making them to become fishers of men rather than students of the law. He wasn't saying, follow me, and I will make you students of the law. He was saying, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. This means that following Jesus is an active belief. Following Jesus is an activity that's based on the initiative of God to call us, save us, and then set us on our trajectory. Of a life in service to mankind for the glory of God. So when you walk out of this hall or sanctuary or, or whatever, when you walk out, you have to understand that every single person that fills the streets of this city, God has called us to. God has called us in service to mankind. He said to be a fisher of men, not, hey, I'm gonna make you students of Torah. I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. I know this is, can sound kind ex, of you know, extremist. They were, what was going on here is the, these, these men were, were leaving everything to follow Christ. Jesus was calling them radically to himself in relationship. He said, follow me. He called them to himself, follow me. And then Jesus was calling them into active mission, become fishers of men. And the only proper response is total commitment to their cause, to this cause and they left their nets. Now, remember again the context of last week. Jesus had just announced the kingdom of God, and he said these words, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. When they left their boats and their careers, they repented in a very, very profound way. Jesus said, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Believe, and they repented from their boats They repented from their lives. They repented. They literally turned and started to follow Jesus. Because repentance is not just a matter of ceasing to commit a particular sin, though it does encompass that. The fundamental meaning of repentance is to turn away from what we're doing and embrace what God is doing wholeheartedly. Turn from what we're doing and embrace what God is doing. They did this by leaving their jobs and their families. I know this can sound super extreme. You're like, listen, I was not really, I just want to come to church. I'm not really into getting extreme here. I don't want to follow Jesus like that. Can I just do the whole two hours on a Sunday morning gig? Can I sign up for that plan? No, there's no plan like that with Jesus. He calls people to extremely follow him, even though that word is really played out and cheesy. I'll use it. He called them to really extremely follow him, and I know this sounds extremist. I I th- but listen, I think that this city is okay with that. This city is okay with extreme measures. This city can be pretty fanatical. I mean, have you ever been or ran or seen beta breakers? <laughs> have you ever been to the, 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 the pride parade? Have you ever heard of the Folsom Street Fair? The things that go on in this city are extreme, are intense. There's not just vegetarians here or not vegans. I mean, there's people that eat only food that's alive, like, no, vegetarians, that's just so... Oh, no, we only eat food that's alive. We don't just recycle plastic. We recycle everything. I mean, I have like 15 bins at my house of all these different recycling. This city does things extremely... I mean, the, the countercultural movement started here. There is a sense in the city that it's, everyone's okay with getting a little extreme. And this is why. I think to some level, we in the city know that to really change something. To wake up a complacent world, to shake people from their lethargy, it takes drastic measures. I think we get that in this city. As followers of Jesus in this city, we want to embody the story of Jesus. To have all our other pursuits, all our other aims, all our other goals get absorbed in this grand call to follow Jesus and become fishers of men. Does that mean that we put on a sandwich board that says, all ye citizens of San Francisco, repent and stand outside? No, please don't do that. If you want to do that, and you hear that God's telling you to do that, please seek counsel, and um, we'll steer you in a different direction. It means this, though. This is what it does mean. It means that we have to follow Jesus. Mark 10, 45. Jesus says this later on. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What we have to do as followers of the living God is to give our lives to the city for the sake of the gospel. As a community who seeks to follow a leader who came to serve and to give his life for us, We who believe, whoever believes and starts to begin to follow Jesus would be brought into the community of God. Jesus gave his life. This means that what we can do is to radically serve Jesus, we radically love. We radically serve people. We radically pour our lives out. We just put it into the fact that, hey, we're here just as consumers. We're here in the city for what we can get out of it. We're here that we could embody the gospel in this city. And why? Because we follow Jesus, who gave his life as a ransom for us. Though we were not in the community of God, he died that we could be. He died that he would bring us into him, into his heart, into his life, into the community of God, that we could know and enjoy Jesus forever. That's what he did. At infinite cost to himself, that's what he did. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that the way that you love us, the way that you're calling us into your life and in your community, Lord, I just pray that we would, we would seriously consider what it means to follow you in this, in this city, what it means to embody the gospel as a community. I pray it first would start with love in this place, that we would love one another, that we would forgive one another, that we'd walk in wholeness with you and with each other. And that we would pour our lives out for the sake of this city. Lord, make us a people like this. Make us a people like this, God. For your glory. Pray this in Jesus' name.